Okay, and we are live. This is episode 70, 7-0 of the Solopreneur Grind podcast. I am here with Dominic Wells from Onfolio.co. Dom, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So, Dom, just to get us started, can you tell us a little bit more uh, about yourself, what you're working on right now, and then and then we'll get into a little bit more of the background. Sure. Um, so, what I'm working on would be, as you mentioned, on Folio, um, the sort of 80-20 of what we do is help people who want to invest in buying an online business, but they either don't know how to find a good business or once they found it, they don't know how to run it. Um, so we basically solve both those problems. We help them identify a business and we do the due diligence, and all of that. And then after they make the purchase, we assist them with running the website or whatever the business is. Um, so I've been doing that for about 18 months. So that's, that's like my main focus right now. Very cool. And I definitely want to dive more into that because I'm super interested in even just the general idea of, of buying and selling websites. But I, I'm interested to hear, Dom, how you kind of got to that point, right? So you said you've been doing that for 18 months. What kind of led you to that point? Or maybe another way to ask uh, is kind of where did your kind of entrepreneurial journey begin? Was it early in life? Was it, you know, did you kind of have your nine to five for a while? Uh, you know, where, where did that kind of get started? Yeah. Um, so 2012 is when I first started to look online. Um, so I live in Taiwan. I've been here since 2008. And originally, I was an English teacher, oh, wow. um, and essentially, I, I wanted to stay in Taiwan, but I didn't want to teach English anymore. I wasn't fluent in Mandarin, so I didn't have a lot of options for local work. So kind of through trial and error, I discovered that you could make money online with uh, websites. And I mean, there's loads of different ways to make money online, but websites is like the, just the, the path I ended up on. Um, and so whether I was entrepreneurial before that, um, I don't know. I knew I never really wanted a kind of nine to five job, but I, I, I wasn't like one of those people that was an entrepreneur when they were eight years old or anything. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, so in 2014, I'd had a little bit of success with being able to build some websites that were able to rank at the top of Google and make a little bit of money, um, not quite enough to quit teaching English, but enough that I, I could see that maybe one day I'd be able to. Um, and I essentially discovered that there were people who would buy websites on a website called flipper.com, which is mm -hmm. it's kind of like the eBay of website selling. Um, and I saw that a lot of people were selling these kind of cookie cutter done for you, like these turnkey websites that were basically just trash, but people were buying them because they just didn't know any better. And so I realized there was an opportunity to make these turnkey starter sites for people that were quality. Um, and they would need training to understand why these ones were quality and why other ones were trash and what to do once they had this website. Um, so the way I, I, I talked about it was a, a lot of people in the turnkey website space would say, my website's better, this website's better, that website, you know, we, we provide these bells and whistles with our websites and um, 
the way I put it was it doesn't really matter whether you you start out with a Ferrari or a Mini Cooper or or whatever. What you need is lessons to learn how to drive the car. So as well as doing the done for you websites, we also did a lot of training. So that was a brand called Human Proof Designs, which I started in yeah, 20, late 2013. Um, and I ran that for, I guess, about five years. Um, and after, after a few years, I started getting back into buying websites myself rather than just building them and giving them to people who wanted to get started. I started buying established sites myself. Um, and I just thought, I really want to focus on doing this more. It was what excited me and kind of where I saw more opportunity. And then I discovered that the Human Proof Designs audience, a lot of them were the same. They said, well, I don't want to start out with like a thousand dollar kind of newbie website. I want to, I've, I've got money. I want to start out with a website that's already making money. Um, mm -hmm. Can you help me, you know, to do that? So that is where I got the idea for Onfolio. Um, and so I, I started to, I launched on Folio as a separate brand and I started to promote it to the human proof designs audience and, um, kind of started getting traction from there. And at the same time, I had kind of wanted to stop human proof designs. So I started to look for a buyer, um, and yeah, about a year ago, so April 2019, I handed the keys over to somebody else. So he's now taken HPD on to a, you know, different heights and I've been focusing on Onfolio. Um, so I guess when I say I've done it for 18 months, I've actually done it for about seven years, but just like in its current, in its current uh, form, I've done it about 18 months. Got it. And I want to go through a little bit more of that story. It sounds super interesting. Why was it first, though, Dom, that you decided to create a new business, a new brand, in, instead of just kind of pivoting with the human proof designs? Was was it just kind of was the brand built too strongly around what you no longer wanted to do anymore and, and you felt like it needed a new brand to kind of give it the new focus that you wanted? Uh, yeah, there were a few reasons and I wasn't a hundred percent sure that doing a new brand was the best way to do it. Um, but part of it was, I didn't really want to do the human proof designs things anymore. And so I didn't want to do a disservice to the existing customers, um, and the existing team by just kind of focusing on a new direction. So I thought, if I step out of human proof designs, it's not going to be getting in my way and I'm not going to be getting in its way. Um, right. And one of the reasons I thought it would be better to have it as separate brands rather than just like, oh, now it's a, it's just a new service that human proof designs does was because I, I was thinking about the language that we used on the human proof designs website. And it was mostly, it was talking about affiliate marketing and SEO and how to, how to do conversion rate optimization to get more sales and more clicks and stuff. And I thought about the type of people we wanted to reach with Onfolio and it was more investor types, more people who, um, they, they kind of understood online business and they understood things like SEO as a concept, but they didn't really want to like, they didn't want to come to Onfolio and read a blog post about how to, tweak the settings of your website to get it to rank higher. They just really wanted to know about 
the risks of investing and portfolio theory and um, uh, why websites are a good opportunity. So it was just a completely different type of person I wanted to attract and it was a different way that I needed to speak to them. And I thought if they come to Human Proof Designs, they might think, well, what's this? What is all this stuff? Right. And at the same time, Human Proof Designs audience may suddenly become uh, isolated as well if we suddenly start talking about completely different content. So yeah, that's kind of why I made that decision. And also, I guess I had one thought in the back of my mind that if I did want to sell Human Proof Designs, I at least had that option if the brands were separate from the beginning. Got it. Yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, so Dom, can we go back to kind of the 2012-2013 period and you're starting to discover the opportunities of, of making these new websites or even just making money off of websites. How did you first, how did you first develop those skills and, and, and even get those first one or two websites off the ground? Did you have experience with that prior? Were you kind of self-teaching yourself? Um, and, and, and what did it take to get that, those first websites onto those front pages of Google? Yeah. Um, I had basically no pre-existing skills really. Um, apart from the fact that I was a little bit familiar with WordPress because I think two or three years prior, I'd played around with WordPress to kind of create a personal blog. Didn't really mm -hmm. know what I was doing. I just wanted to create a blog about stuff. Uh, <laughs> so um, that had made me a bit familiar with WordPress, but I still didn't understand it. I, I didn't understand about plugins and uh, if I wanted to change the design of my website or anything, I was useless. Um, and to this day, I still don't know how to code. So, uh, you know, I've, I've built probably hundreds of websites, thousands of pages, um, and made hundreds of thousands of dollars, but I still can't write a single line of code. So mm -hmm. you, you don't need to code these days to be able to um, have an online business or a website. Um, and then, so how I learned was, yeah, it was, it, it was self-learning, but also it was, um, uh, I, I joined a online course basically that was like, here's how you research keywords Here's how you um, uh, learn to rank those keywords in Google. Here's basics about SEO. And here's how you write a good article, what you need to put in the article. And so I kind of followed that. And it's it's a blueprint, but it's never going to like guarantee that it's going to work every time because uh, ranking websites is more art than science. Um, so it was like following the templates and the blueprint and then a lot of trial and error um, mm -hmm. and ranking those first sites. Yeah. Like the, the first ones didn't really succeed, but you get better at it every time. And um, uh, it just through trial and error, eventually one website starts to get a little bit of success and you think, okay, what did I do differently? And then you, you kind of take that and maybe you start another website or you, change the direction of your website based on that. And eventually, you know, you, you just kind of get better at, at ranking. Got it. And so what would you recommend to some people that might be early on right now uh, that are trying to basically get, get some websites up there, get them running, get them successful? Do you have maybe like two or three pieces of advice that you would recommend 
to them in terms of uh, ranking really well. And, and I'm also curious to know how much has have those strategies changed over the years, right? Because it's been seven, eight years. That's a long time in, in you know, technology days. So I uh, would be curious to hear your thoughts about the evolution over the last few years. Yeah, I think the fundamental strategies haven't changed that much, but maybe the individual tactics have. Um, so like ranking a website is really, Google uses over 200 different um, factors for determining which sites should be at the top and which sites should be like, you know, nowhere to be found. But the strongest of those factors has always been uh, content links and user signals. So content can be broken down into it, it looks at your page and then it analyzes the page to first of all, figure out what the page is about. And second of all, to figure out the quality of the page. Um, and then links is basically links from other websites that are linking to your website and, and to your individual pages. Uh, and it considers those to be votes of confidence. So, you know, if, if you write an article about making money online and it gets links from like Forbes and entrepreneur and, uh, all of these kind of financial heavyweights, um, then Google's going to think, okay, that article's probably good. Um, so there's there's lots of different tactics that people have tried over the years to improve the signals they send to Google, both through the content they create by optimizing it um, and by getting better better links. Uh, and those have changed as because essentially people who are good at SEO figure out what works really well and then they abuse it. So then they all start ranking really well. And then Google says, okay, you need to change the rules slightly. Mm -hmm. um, so it, as individual tactics change, that can be what beginners struggle with because maybe they find an article written in 2012 that says, Hey, this works really well. And it turns out it doesn't work very well anymore. Um, right. So to be honest, one of the best things you can do is just take a course. There are courses out there that you know cost a hundred dollars or there's courses that cost a thousand dollars and obviously usually the more expensive ones are better but um i find when you take a course it just speeds up the learning and also if it's a relevant course from someone who's actively updating it and is living and breathing um the work that they're teaching then you know generally speaking you're going to shorten the um the learning curve so it, the course you know pays for itself um and then in terms of other advice i would say seo is very much a long-term play it's something where if you rank at the top of google you can get a lot of traffic and make a lot of money but if you rank even just at the bottom of page one you don't get much traffic or income because you know, when you Google something, you tend to click on the top one, two or three results. Mm -hmm. um, so it can be something where you've been doing it for 10 months and your website's got like no traffic and no money. And you're thinking, man, this doesn't work or it's going to take me forever. But one week later, that website could be suddenly at the top of page one, whereas before it was at the bottom of page one. Suddenly you're getting loads of traffic and loads of, of revenue. Uh, like, for example, I had this one website that I started probably 13 or 14 months ago. And I think in November last year, so about nine months in, it made $200. And I remember thinking, 
I should have known better, but I was like, why is it not making more money than this? Why is it only making $200? Like, this is ridiculous. Um, Cause I was spending more than $200 on having a writer to write my content. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I think December it did a thousand or something around, around there. So mm-hmm. I thought, okay, that's a bit better. And then January, I went back down to 500, uh, February 400, but then March and April, the, the world goes into lockdown and everyone suddenly wants this this thing that this website is promoting. And um, yeah, in March it did like two and a half grand and then in April it did eight and a half and we're on May 10th and it's done four and a half already in May. So this is a website that basically it was like nothing, 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 a little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, suddenly a load. And the main reason for the huge jump is that an article I wrote that's really popular suddenly got to the top of page one. Um, so if you Google any of those key terms, suddenly you find my article, whereas a month before it wasn't there yet. Um, and also more people are interested in the thing that this website is uh, promoting. So it's a really good example of how if you don't know any better, you probably just throw in the towel because you'll be like, oh, I've done this for six months. I don't really have a lot to show for it. Um, and all it all it takes is just one sudden page one, position one ranking, and it can like, you know, change the outlook of a website in an instant. Um, sure. So yeah, definitely just uh, the takeaway from that would be, you know, just as long as you're seeing some level of momentum with a particular article or even better set of articles, then eventually things could, you know, uh, turn out for the best. Got it. And, and so Dom, is there a certain type of website that you tend to focus on or tend to help buy and sell? Like, is, is it a lot of just kind of blog type websites with affiliate income? Like, are, are you drop shipping? Are you creating products? Are you selling digital products? Uh, is it a whole mix? Uh, I'd be interested to hear about that. Yeah, so right now, our focus is on content websites. And I, I generally um, define a content website as, yeah, like a blog with affiliate income. Um, sometimes a lot of our sites make money from display advertising as well. So, you know, just having adverts on the website um, and digital products as well. Um, so, but, you know, basically if it's, a, if it's a website where people read an article and maybe that article either has adverts on the article or it has links like to Amazon and you go to Amazon and buy a product and the website gets a commission. Um, or maybe, yeah, we sell an ebook or something like that. So it, it depends on the website. Uh, that being said, I do, we are looking into other models as well now. Um, when we first started, content sites were where my main skill set was. So we didn't want to experiment with we didn't want to use like other people's money to experiment with other business types. Um, but now that we are more experienced, have a bigger team and I have people on my team who have experience with other business types. So for example, dropshipping, like you mentioned, or e-commerce in general, um, we are going to, um, start moving into that more because, uh, well, first of all, the more business types you're familiar with, the more opportunities you can capture. But second of all, when you're 100% reliant on SEO and Google traffic, 
you're kind of at the whim of Google wanting to rank you. Whereas dropshipping sites often have larger profit margins, so you can maybe make paid paid traffic work better. Um, so there's, you know, I could do a whole other podcast on the different business models, but mm-hmm. the short answer is we're focused on content sites, but we're in the process of like diversifying that. Got it. Very cool. So, Dom, when you decided you wanted to start on Folio, what was that like? And and one of the reasons I ask is because usually what I like to focus on is you know how that business kind of got started. What was what did the first six months look like? What were some of the actions that you took at the beginning that kind of you know hopefully started getting the ball rolling? Yeah. Um... With Onfolio, it was kind of different because I didn't really start from zero. Um, like I had, I had an email list, the human proof designers email list that I could email. Um, I had my network. So uh, quite early on, I yeah, I, I, I created a very basic coming soon page for Onfolio, and um, the website was very much a minimum viable product. Like, oh, we're doing this new service. If you're interested, email me. And I don't know, up until about six months ago, that was still the case because we were, we were getting so many people email us. I thought, well, what's the point in making a sales page when we're already popular? Um, and we had some people coming to us thinking, oh, your website, your business looks not finished yet. And so I decided, okay, I'll, I'll actually build out the rest of the website. Um, so essentially what I did was I would create some blog posts share them in various Facebook groups that I was already well known in. I emailed the human proof designs list a few times before I handed over the keys for the business. Um, and I, I went on podcasts basically. Um, and again, like I leveraged my existing network, people who had podcasts. Um, and that was really it. That was, and then there was a lot of word of mouth. There was a lot of people who, had been looking for the service for some time. So they would hear about me on a podcast, either someone mentioning me or me being on the podcast myself. Um, and, um, and yeah, that was it. And it, it was kind of surprising because when I started human proof designs, it was about a one year grind before anyone even like gave me a second glance. Um, so it's, it's kind of like that expression where they say it takes it takes 10 years to get overnight success or something like that. Um, it's very much, I think that's very much true. Um, not to say we got overnight success, but we got quick success with Onfolio because of the sort of seven years of work I'd done before building my my network and my personal brand. Um, got it. Yeah. Dom, has, have Facebook groups been a big part of your success for both companies? And, and if so, do you have any tips? Because you, you're definitely not the first guest to have referenced Facebook groups. I mean, some of our previous guests have relied almost solely on Facebook groups for marketing and, and getting their first sales. Uh, how much do you rely on Facebook groups and what are some of your strategies on, on leverage, leveraging them? Um, I don't know exactly how much I rely on them, but they, they've definitely been a big contributor to success. But um, particularly if it's if it's a service-based business, um, or 
if he's selling information, I can see it working as well. Um, probably physical products it could work, but I just haven't had experience with that. So really all it is, Facebook groups are useful for, for many reasons. One is because it's where your ideal customer or audience member is. So just by being a part of that, you learn things because you're seeing what kind of questions people are asking. You're seeing uh, what kind of services or products people in the group are using and recommending to each other. Um, so you, you get good like market research and then maybe you can see an idea for a business or an idea for an additional service. Um, but in addition, really where it's worked for me is because you can show that you know what you're doing. Um, so when we first started on Polio, we were quite active in the Mediavine Facebook group. Uh, Mediavine is, um, they're a display ad company and there's loads and loads of bloggers in their Facebook group talking about different strategies. And we were quite active in there and we were, so I say we, it's like me and um, someone who worked for me at the time. And we were answering people's questions and we were saying like, oh, hey, um, yeah, this is a good strategy. Or if someone has a problem, we would say this thing works. And sometimes people just being nosy, maybe they click on my Facebook profile and they see my website and they, they follow their nose that way. Um, and other people, sometimes we would share a blog post uh, like, oh, hey, um, people have been talking about this recently. Well, we actually have a blog post about it. So just wanted to share. And so then people read the blog post and then it's just like content marketing. If you've done it right, they'll follow they'll follow your links to your contact page or, or you'll mention in your blog post that you, you do services or whatever. Um, I think I shared a case study in there where we, uh, we had helped people w grow their websites and we shared that. Um, so you have to do it in the right way though. You can't just, you know, just throw your blog post in there and because the moderator will just delete it and kick you out. Um, and if they don't, then it's probably a low quality Facebook group. So, um, so you have to do it in the right way. And either you can ask the moderator of the group if it's okay to share, or you can just say, um, the best thing is posting it in response to, if it's like a timely post and let's say, uh, Google's just made an algorithm update and loads of people are discussing it. And then you've actually got a blog post about the Google update. You can say, Hey, people have been discussing this recently. So, um, I wanted to share this post, which talks about it. And here's a few takeaways from the post. And then it's less likely to get deleted. You can also do the passive aggressive thing that a lot of people do where they just say, oh, if this isn't allowed, please feel free to delete it and then post yeah. it. Uh, I, don't, I don't like that because it's like, it's kind of obvious what, you know, it's a bit disingenuous. Um, but uh, essentially that's it. Just demonstrate your authority in a group and people will they'll follow you and they'll find you. Um, uh, I don't, I, I think that's it. Yeah, I don't really think there's anything else, but Facebook groups have been uh, fundamental for growing my various businesses. Yeah, so um, it. it's worth yeah. paying attention to. Very cool and, and very good advice. So Damo, I want to go a little bit deeper on, on the actual kind of buying and selling of websites. I mean, I'm sure many listeners maybe even not really know it's a thing, right? Like kind of how popular it is to 
uh, buy and sell websites, sites like Flippa, Empire Flippers, etc., etc. What would you say to someone who maybe didn't even really know it's it's much of a thing, um, but by the sounds of it are, are kind of interested, right? Because in my opinion, it's such a great opportunity because we all know the potential and the opportunities when it comes to online businesses, uh, you know, being able to work from wherever you want, being able to scale a little bit easier than maybe like a brick and mortar store. What would you say to someone who, you know, they've just opened their eyes to the concept of it, kind of, what should they do? Of course, check out your website and we have the website on screen right now for those that are watching the video. Um, but other than that, what would you kind of tell them as like an intro to the idea or concept of, of buying and selling websites? Um, I guess it really depends how much knowledge they have already, but assuming they have like no knowledge at all, I would say it's basically buying a business but it's one that is not particularly cash intensive. I think mm -hmm. what a lot of investors, so people who invest in real estate or people who are used to investing in offline businesses, brick and mortar businesses, um, one of the things that they are surprised about is that the revenue line and the profit line are very similar when you're looking at the profit and loss statement of an online business. So a website might make a website might make say $10,000 a month profit. So someone would expect, oh, maybe it's doing 100,000 revenue or it's doing 50,000 revenue. And when you say, no, it's doing like 11,000 revenue, <laughs> they're surprised, like what? So wait, their expenses are only 1,000 and it's making 10, how is that possible? And so it's because often the, the expenses of running an, an online business are not that high. Now, it can be very expensive to get that business profitable in the first place. But when you're buying one, you're kind of skipping that that whole thing. Um, and so a lot of people just that that's a bit of a head scratcher. Um, I know a lot of people that just think online businesses aren't tangible or they don't make much money. I don't think they realize that some of the websites out there make ludicrous sums of money. Like if you rank if you rank number one for like best web hosting or best VPN, you're probably clearing 100K profit a month. Hmm. Um, now, those websites are spending more as well because they it's so lucrative that they need to spend a lot of money on SEO to, to, to stay number one. But hmm. still, like in terms of the revenue and the expenses and everything. Um, and then another thing to understand is that it's not passive. People do think online businesses are passive. And so they are and they aren't. They're passive in the sense that the money is earned while you're not there. Because maybe the website ranks number one in Google, people search for something, they visit your website, they buy something, you make money. So that extent is passive. But it's not going to stay there if you don't do anything. So right. it's an it is an active investment. So you're going to need to do SEO to keep it ranked number one, or you're going to need to reply to some blog comments, or or you're going to need to make sure that the team who are running it are still doing what they're supposed to be doing. So, you know, one of the selling points of Onfolio is we kind of turn that active investment into a passive investment because we're the team that do it all for you. Um, but yeah, I think people 
certainly mistakes a lot of people make is they go to Flipper or Empire Flippers, they buy a business and then they do nothing with it and wonder why it died. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, because it's it's not a piece of real estate where it's going to sit there and just collect rent every month if you do nothing. I, I know a lot of people do refer to online businesses like digital real estate, but it's really digital online. It's really online business. It's a business. It's not. It's not like a piece of real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, because these businesses are so affordable, it can be worth it. So you can buy an online business at say uh, three times multiple. So what it earns in a year times three is all you have to pay for it. Compare that to say, uh, well, if you look at a public business where they, a lot of them are like 20 times earnings that they're going for, um, or a uh, uh, an offline business that's maybe anywhere from 3.5 to 7, uh, depending on the business. And then an online business is only three. Um, you can you can get very good returns if you just protect the business. You don't even have to grow it and you can make good returns. So um, it's well worth either getting over these hurdles or like learning more about it to, to see exactly if it's somewhere that they want to, you know, um, operate in. Right. Yeah, that, that's super helpful. And so let's say someone is interested, they do a little bit of that intro research, they read some blog posts, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. They say, you know what, I, I, I kind of get it, I, I want to get started, I have some money, uh, want to kind of break into it buy my first online business. What would you recommend to them? I mean, is is there a kind of price threshold that you recommend they stay between, especially for their first website? Um, should they kind of keep it basic, stick with like a pretty straightforward content, you know, blog type website? Uh, like what would you recommend to a first time buyer? It really depends how involved they want to be. Um, but if they want to learn kind of like everything that they need to do, um, I'm not necessarily saying they want to buy themselves a job, but maybe they want to learn everything that's required to run an online business so that later if they buy a bigger one and they want to hire employees or a team to run the website for them, they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Then actually probably they could just start with a small one because another one of the beauties of online business is a bigger website doesn't always require more effort to run than a smaller website. So, you know, my website I talked about earlier that's doing 10K a month now doesn't require any more work than it did when it was making nothing or when it was making 100. In fact, I probably work on it less now because it's more established. Mm-hmm. So if someone buys a small website, like I'm talking, I don't know, uh, a few grand a month. So maybe it's only making 100, sorry, not a few grand a month, a few grand. So maybe it's only making $100 a month or something. Um, that can give them a good education for what they need to do with a bigger website where there's a larger sum of money more risk and everything. Um, and they can do it in a low risk environment. Like, okay, if you, if you can't afford to lose a few grand, you probably shouldn't. But if you have, you know, if you're thinking about buying a business for a hundred K and you want to learn everything you can about it, then you can spend 5k on a small business. And when that business is, probably inevitably dies because you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're only out five grand. So that's quite a good education you've got. Um, now, obviously, if you want to spend a large amount of money, then it's different and you're going to need to use like someone like my company or like 
you know, I, I don't want to just sit here pitching, but you can't really invest like a large sum of money without knowing what you're doing or without working with someone who knows what they're doing. So it's like you wouldn't you wouldn't buy a restaurant without if there was a team there. OK, fine. But you wouldn't buy a restaurant that had no team and be like, oh, I'll figure this out. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of the same concept, um, because one of the problems with online businesses is a lot of the ones that are sold are owner operated and so the seller doesn't come with the business most of the time um so when you're buying it you're buying a blog that gets traffic and makes money without you necessarily doing anything but then you can't just buy it and do nothing and then there's no team in place that are doing everything if you're buying a website for like a million dollars, then yeah, it's going to have a team, a project manager, a content writers, and you know, it's going to have all of that. But right. you know, below below like 500k, you're probably going to have to figure out how to put in some kind of team or employees. Um, and so that's why one of the best ways to learn yourself is to just learn on a smaller website. Um, where there's less capital at risk. Got it. And so can you, I mean, I'll give, I'll kind of lob one in here, Dom, but I am very curious too more about the services of the website. So when you say kind of, you know, work with a company like yours, can you give us a little more insight into kind of what you help a potential seller or also buyer, I guess, do, uh, or sorry, buyer and, and maybe seller too, if a seller comes to you, but like, what's what does kind of the due diligence look like when it comes to buying and selling websites? Uh, is is it pretty comparable to offline, or you know, are there a lot of other aspects that people might not be aware of? Um, I mean, I haven't done a lot of offline, so I don't know for right. sure. But um, I imagine it's it's less and it's more. So it's less because it's a, probably a much shorter period. Um, you can. I can do good due diligence on a website in a day or right. an afternoon. So in terms of the actual time involved, then it's less. But there's probably more because you need to look at a lot of quite technical things more. Um, so if, if it's a website that gets the majority of its traffic because it ranks highly in Google, then the due diligence process is going to be how are they ranking? Have they done stuff to trick Google that maybe isn't sustainable? Or have they just built a really solid website that's going to be ranking for a long time? Um, because there's things you can do to kind of cheat the system to rank quickly in Google, but eventually Google penalizes it and the website's traffic dries up overnight. So you, you don't want to buy that website. You want to buy the website that has just put out quality content and attracted quality links for some time because that's probably going to be around for a long time. Um, or maybe the website gets traffic from social media or email lists. And so you need to look at that and think, is this real? Have they faked it? Or if it's real, is it sustainable? Or is it just a one-off? Um, for example, I looked at a website where they had launched an ebook and they promoted it to their list of like, I don't know, 10,000 people and made $4,000 the month before I was looking at the website and they were, you know, saying, well, yeah, this is making $4,000 a month from the ebook. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my argument was, well, no, you did a one-off promotion to your list. But if I do that same promotion this month, probably not going to make four grand because everyone bought it already. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was that was not so much due diligence in the sense of looking for risk. It was more, are their claims reasonable and so on. So essentially kind of bringing it back a bit, when I look at a website, I look at it in two stages. And the first is, what's the risk? If I buy this website, is it still going to be around in a few years? And then if it passes that test, then part two is, okay, so what's the opportunity? Like, why should I buy this one versus another one? Why, how can I grow it? Uh, you know, yeah, if, if I have two websites that both have the same level of risk, why is this one better or is or is this one better? Um, right. and, and the reason I look at the risk first is because you can get excited about the opportunity and, and overlook some of the, the riskier stuff and then you buy it and you fail to realize the opportunity and you're stuck with a website that maybe you, you regret buying. Um, so it's much better to do it the other way around. Um, for sure. And I mean, again, I could do a whole podcast episode just on due diligence, but, mm-hmm. um, to kind of go back to the question. Um, yeah, there's, there's all sorts of little things you have to look at, but the fundamentals are what's the risk and what's the opportunity. Got it. Very cool, Dom. This has been uh, been really cool to kind of learn more about just the the industry in and of itself. Could you talk about maybe as kind of like a last or second last question I have is uh, what do you see as really big opportunities out there? Like for people who are just maybe they're already in the kind of buying mode or they're just kind of learning about this now, like. What are you seeing out there in terms of opportunities, either for yourself or for your clients, and 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 what should people be doing uh, if they want to get more involved? Uh, okay, so I think the overall opportunity is just the fact that online businesses are fairly cheap to run and they're fairly cheap to buy. Um, compared to you know anything else and the returns you can get with buying a business can number well above what you would get in the stock market or real estate um so just the industry itself is the opportunity and then i think what people can do to get involved is well obviously follow people like myself um uh, there are some other good content producers out there and you mentioned empire flippers for example they've got great podcast archive they've got um a good blog flipper.com as well um there's companies like fe international although they don't put out a a ton of content but they're worth checking out um and then uh there's people like jared kraus and richard patey they produce good content as well so i think i think the, the first thing people should do is educate themselves about just learn more about the space what are the risks what what are the opportunities how do you go about things and um you know, that's the best way because ultimately someone may educate themselves and decide oh, actually this isn't for me i'm going to stick with some you know something else um right so i think that that would be the next steps that i would recommend anybody takes awesome well, Dom, go, going from there, can you tell everybody a little bit more just about uh, about your services? You can plug the website, any socials that you would love uh, for the listeners to listen to you to on or follow you on? Uh, sure. I mean, yeah, so the website is on folio.co. Um, and when I get around to it, I publish 
a blog post every month. Um, <laughs> so that's a good place to follow me. Um, I reply to almost every email. So if anyone just wants to email dom at onfolio.co, just, I don't know, any question they want to ask. Um, I have the usual, like the Twitter handle and everything and, if, and LinkedIn if, if anyone wants to follow me on there. Um, and then the, the services we have are essentially, we have, if someone wants to buy a business, we can help them buy one. Either if they want to buy a large enough one that it's kind of worth our time, then we can help them buy it and then we'll run it for them. If they want a smaller budget or they don't want us to run it, then they can hire us to just help them find a business, do due diligence on it, and then create a plan for growth and then kind of hand it over and be like, okay, you know, here's the website, uh, here's how you should grow it, and then off you go. Um, right. And then we have a few other services that may appeal to people with different uh, requirements, but th those are like the kind of the, the main ones people come to us for. Awesome. Well, Dom, thanks again uh, very much for coming on the show. Super interesting. We'll have links to all that, the website, the socials uh, in the description, whether you're listening or watching this after the fact. Uh, Dom, thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey everyone, Josh here, checking in just one last time. Wanted to say thanks so much for listening to the podcast episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. And if you want to keep getting more of the Solopreneur Grind content, make sure to join the email list. What I do is send three emails a week with additional content, such as what's going on in the background of my Solopreneur journey, insights I'm having on business, and updates when new podcast episodes like these come out as well. It's free. It always will be. The link to join is in the description of whatever podcast platform you're listening this to on. Really hope to have you on the list and continuing to share these awesome solopreneur journeys and insights with you as well. Have a great day and hope to see you soon.